It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On Celtics, your daily Boston Celtics podcast here on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So high right now, anything's possible. Oh my mama, oh my mama, baby, ma, anything's possible. Jay's back with the vengeance at all the real Celtics fans in attendance. This is the truth like 34. It's like walking in the garden when you hear the roars. The crowd goes crazy. Most in-depth coverage on the daily, mainly. Podcast royalty, the content kings. When you talking about the franchise with 17 rings. Focus like Danny at the deadline. Global with it, got a local feel like the red line, the blue line, the green line. Play it in between time. I'ma throw my C's jersey on in the meantime and press play. When the F's done, I can't wait until the next day. Trying to stay in tune with the C's, that's the best way. Melly. Welcome back. This is the Lockdown Celtics Podcast. I want to thank you for making this show part of your daily routine. I, John Corrales of MassLive.com, am here for you Monday through Friday with a fresh, free daily podcast for you that you can subscribe to anywhere podcasts exist. So if you are new, if you're listening on Twitter or somewhere else, you can subscribe to the Lockdown Celtics Podcast everywhere podcasts exist. Today, on Wednesday, I am talking about a 119-113 Celtics win over the Cleveland Cavaliers. It is their fifth win in a row. The Celtics now move into a tie for the top spot in the East, which means nothing at this point. However, there they are at the top, tied with the Philadelphia 76ers, who, of course, own a tiebreaker, so... If you're into tiebreaker talk in November, you came to the right place. Um, Well, I'll just do the first segment here is going to be an overview. And then I'll dive a little bit more into Gordon Hayward's awesome night and other good stuff later on in the show. So if you missed the game, you missed really what was kind of like an 11 point Celtics lead throughout, even though they, whenever the lead got cut to four, uh, it always just felt like it was still 11, which is weird, but uh, I, I just never until like the very end, I thought, Ooh, maybe, maybe they might not win this game, but it always felt like they were in control. They just could never quite pull away. Uh, they let the Cleveland Cavaliers get off a little too many three pointers. Like they, they shot 13 of 33 Cleveland did from three. Uh, the Celtics fouled a little bit too much. They let the, the Cavs score uh, 20 points from the line. They were 20 of 22 from the line. And they got a little bit um, lazy. Like the Celtics won the rebounding battle 45 to 44, but they gave up 12 offensive rebounds, eight to Tristan Thompson. So that helped everybody, uh, help the Cleveland Cavaliers keep it close. But the Celtics mostly behind Gordon Hayward, were able to hold the Cavs off. So, Hayward, 39 points on the night on 17 of 20 shooting. The three shots that he missed were all threes. So, perfect from the two-point area, which afterwards he said, kind of a meaningless stat, which I agree. For some reason, people have latched on to that. He shot 17 of 20, 85% from the field. He was 4-4 from the line. That's great. 
Uh, also, eight assists and seven rebounds. The eight assists were really uh, awesome because they almost always led to dunks, and that was really cool, especially when Robert Williams was finishing them. So uh, a hell of a night for Gordon Hayward. I mean, he was just honestly everywhere, and you could tell early on that he was going to, to have a big night because he was seven of seven in his first in the first quarter. I mean, he just kept on, he just was hitting everything. So uh, he was aggressive. He was getting to the rim. It was it was good. I'll talk more about Gordon in a minute. So, but thirty nine points, like I said, eight assists, seven rebounds, uh, just a great night. Kimball Walker had like a quietly good night. Twenty five points, eight, eight rebounds, which is awesome. Three assists. 8 of 19 from the field, not particularly great overall, but 6 of 8 from 3, 3 of 4 from the line, only 4 free throws. What are you doing, Kemba? You spent the past two nights, uh, past two games shooting 14 and 15 free throws. Now you're back down to 4, which is interesting. The two nights he's hit 15 free throw, uh, he took 15 free throws and 14 free throws. In every other game he's taken exactly 4, which is weird. I don't know why that means anything, another meaningless stat. But it's just, you know, weird. Uh, He hit some big shots, but really the biggest play of the game was a missed Kemba three where Gordon Hayward got the rebound and put that back and really secured the game. Jason Tatum had 18 points, seven rebounds, uh, four turnovers, which is not particularly good, and nine of 16 shooting, which is good, 56.3%, 0 of 5 from three. So... This was kind of like a flip, like a reverse uh, of what the prior Celtics games have been. Tatum hit all of his two-pointers, and most of his two-pointers, uh, was 9 of 11 from 2, and 0 of 5 from 3, where he had been shooting like 50% or so from 3. So uh, a little bit of the numbers evening out what we may call a regression to the mean. That's the fancy way of saying things are evening out. So Tatum, the numbers look good, and maybe people will forget that he had a very kind of quiet game. The turnovers were not great because they were the the typical uh, Tatum turnovers where he just kind of lost the ball, but he ended up a plus nine uh, on the night. An 18.7 rebound game ain't that bad. So there's not much to nitpick about, but... At the same time, some of the things that he has a bad habit of doing, those continued. Also notable in this, Carson Edwards, which is interesting. So he had 13 points off the bench, 3 of 4 from 3, 5 of 6 overall. And you, if you didn't see the game, you look at this, he's like, wow, man, that's nice. He finally got going, which he did. But the interesting part is the first sub of the game was Javante Green. And I was kind of surprised that Javante Green was in in the first quarter. And we never saw him again after the first quarter. But he got in early, got a few minutes, and I was just kind of wondering, like, is what is this? Brad taking trying to take advantage of like Gordon Hayward is getting to the rim at will. Everybody seemed to be getting to the rim at will. Why not have a slasher in there? A guy who can defend. And he was he kind of, I don't know, didn't do anything really. His only contribution was a, a rebound. So I bring it up because when I put that out there, that theory of like why Brad would 
play Javante. It was actually Jay King, formerly of this podcast, currently of a podcast that shall not be named, and you should not go search because I'm the only podcast you need. Why go searching for others? All right, fine. Let's call it anything as potable. But don't, don't, don't. You know, don't give him the satisfaction. He doesn't deserve the satisfaction. Anyway, Jay said, yeah, Carson Edwards is like 0 for 100 or 0 for his life or whatever he said. And then Carson comes in later in the game, plays 15 minutes and scores 13 points and finally got hot. Also funny that Carson did this in Cleveland. That's where he had that big preseason game where he hit a ton of shots in a row. Like, what did he score? What did he hit? Like five three-pointers, six three-pointers in a row in that preseason game? Obviously meaningless, but he hit a bunch of those shots in a row. Starts the season very, very slow, then comes back to Cleveland and has 13 points on three of four and uh, what else? Did he? Not much else, but played some good defense. Brad shouted him out for his uh, boxing out after the game, which is, that's nice. Nice little thing. Uh, another funny Carson Edwards thing. He is uh, not sure what to do with the media. <laughs> his scrum after the game, he was just kind of like, is, I think he said the, the phrase, I don't know, maybe a dozen times. Because people ask him questions and he has no clues. Like, well, why, why are you asking me this? Uh, it's an interesting dynamic. If you, if you watch the, the post game on NBC Sports Boston, just, just watch it. See if you can get a video of that or something. Because he just, he's like looking at people. People are asking him about his hair. He's like, it's not my hair. Leave my hair out of this. It's really funny to watch. He, he really has no clue how to, how to deal with the media. Um, and it's in a good way. Like, it's funny. It's just funny to see. Uh, Daniel Tice needs to be shouted out early five blocks in this game in 30 minutes. He's just a defensive monster plus nine rebounds. He had five points, but the five blocks is really the most important thing in back-to-back games. He's had five and four blocks. So he is now up to fourth in the NBA in blocks per game. So nice. And Marcus smart, Marcus smart, great defense on Kevin love. In fact, why don't I take a break and come back and talk about the defense that he played on Kevin Love? Because it's one of the things that is worth talking about. And we'll do that after the break here on the Lockdown Celtics podcast. But before we get to that, I want to tell you about my favorite time of the year, which is right now, autumn in New England. There is no more beautiful time, no more beautiful place for autumn in New England. And not just because of the weather, not because I get to bust out my sweaters, because basketball is in full swing. College basketball is back. Football is back. Hockey is going on. All of the sports have at some point here, baseball just wrapped up, but it's really a sports haven. And you should be taking part if you are one who likes to wager by going to mybookie.ag. If you like to, however you like to bet, if you like to bet a little to win a lot, you can try a parlay. So if you like a couple of the big favorites this week, parlays are the way to go because you can bet on multiple games, put them together, and get a much bigger payout. Like I said, college is back. I've seen college on my timeline. So you can go and use your basketball knowledge to prove what it takes on the college level by going to mybookie.ag where it's you have an easy way to play and an even easier way to get paid. If you really want to support your team this season, don't just sit there 
Get in the game with mybookie.ag, and if you join right now, mybookie will double your first deposit. Use the promo code LOCKEDONNBA. LOCKEDONNBA. Double your money right away. Whatever you put in, it gets doubled. It's like winning a bet right off the bat. Use the promo code LOCKEDONNBA. LOCKEDONNBA to double your cash. Visit mybookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. Support for this podcast comes from Microsoft Teams. Now there are more ways to be a team with Microsoft Teams. Bring everyone together in one space with a new virtual room. Collaborate live, drawing, sharing, and building ideas with everyone on the same page. And make sure more of your team is seen and heard with up to 49 people on screen at once. Learn more about all the newest Teams features at Microsoft.com Teams. NFL teams making bold final moves before the start of the season. From our local experts to your ears, these are the biggest stories on the Locked On Podcast Network. The Tennessee Titans have announced a one-year deal with linebacker Jadavion Clowney, reportedly worth $15 million. Tyler Rowland of Locked On Titans tells you if it's going to be enough to get Tennessee back to the AFC title game. In other moves around the league, the Miami Dolphins named Ryan Fitzpatrick starting quarterback, which means Tua will be back up for the time being. And the Detroit Lions have agreed to a one-year deal with running back Adrian Peterson. Peterson was released by the Washington football team last Friday. For more NFL news and analysis, subscribe to the new Peacock and Williamson NFL show and listen to a brand new lineup on Locked On NFL. They'll have division previews every day this week. Local experts on the biggest stories, it's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On Celtics, your daily Boston Celtics podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. One of my favorite things in this game was Marcus Smart guarding Kevin Love, which just, I mean, he's, he jokes around. He's used this joke about being a stretch six uh, a few different times, but sure, I'm going to go with it, whatever you want to say, because it's uh, something that is just a sight to behold. I mean, Marcus is uh, enjoying the hell out of it. <laughs> he seems to enjoy the hell out of it. Uh, he says that he loves these types of challenges. Marcus will get in there, and Kevin Love tries to back him down. He's not strong enough to back him down. He's not swift enough to get past him. He needs to get past him in a different way, or shoot over the top of him, which he can do sometimes. But really, Marcus Smart checking Kevin Love is fun. It's just fun. The best part, so Marcus gets hit in the in the hip. It looks like the hip, but it was right on the oblique. Remember at the, the, the playoffs at the end of last year where he got hit in the oblique? And like he tore his oblique, he got hit in the same spot. Luckily, he got up. He said, luckily, the oblique feels better. It's stronger. So he was able to get up. But he was down for a second. He got up and then tried and and guarded Kevin Love. And Love tried everything he could. Try to back him down. Try to get past him one way or the other. And Smart forced the mist. Which, 
just wild. He was down. It looked like bad. And then he got up and stopped Kevin Love. And then later in the game, he kind of did it again, forced another miss, a big miss down the stretch where Gordon Hayward after the game was just gushing. It just took a right turn out of one answer to say, hey, by the way, Marcus Smart was awesome on Kevin Love. Like everybody was shouting him out. It was amazing. So Smart had that great defensive um, play. He did take a couple of like quick threes, which I didn't like. There was uh, one early in the game where he was – I don't even know if any of the other Celtics were over half court, and it was just not a great three. He also took an end of end of quarter two for one, which uh, I, I, don't, I don't enjoy, and I don't think it, it's right to take a shot with 31 seconds left just because you have the ball and you're kind of in somewhere near your range to take a shot just so you can get a two for one. Like, okay, they, they got the ball back and they scored which is fine, but Marcus Smart missed. So you miss in order to get the ball back and score. Like, why not just work the ball around and try to get a better shot that first time around rather than trying to rely on a stop to get that ball back? Like, you have a couple seconds to try to get a better shot. Still kind of get the two for one, but if the two for one isn't there and you're one on three with a three pointer and it's 30 low 30 something on the clock, don't take that. Don't just, just pull it back out. It doesn't matter. Get the stop anyway. And you're just get a good shot, make the good shot and go get the stop and be done with it. Because the miss, and the thing is about that shot is it's a long shot. You, a three-point miss leads to long rebounds, generally speaking, which means the other team can get going the other way, get going downhill, into transition. You're just setting yourself up for a big mistake. I, so I don't like that particular shot. I'm not saying all two-for-ones are bad, but... I'm saying that that particular one was bad, but Marcus Smart, I guess, gets to take those shots because when you play defense like you did against Kevin Love, you you get to go and take the occasional quick shot. Also, he's just a beast in the pick and roll, and he's an alley oop monster, and he keeps feeding guys for easy dunks. So that's part of the Marcus Smart experience, and it's not been that crazy of an experience. It, in the past, like it has in the past, it's not been as crazy. It has been in the past. So, but fun to watch Marcus smart play defense on Kevin love fun to watch Gordon Hayward, Gordon Hayward threw uh, a bunch of passes for dunks. Gordon Hayward fed Robert Williams for dunks. Like, I mean, <laughs> some, a couple of eye popping, like an alley-oop and then a pick and roll, just bounce pass where Rob, took one dribble and rose up and I thought he was going to break his nose on the rim. And as much as I get on Rob Williams for the fundamental breakdowns of which there were a few, the chasing blocks, which he did again, it's hard to blame the guy for trying to go to this athleticism that is so freakish. Like that's just, 
he has such a uh, ridiculous ability to get up that if I were him, I'd probably be trying to flex that as often as I possibly could too. So, but that's an aside. Uh, really, this was Gordon Hayward's night. And you could tell from the beginning that he was just being aggressive. I, I don't know that I saw him get cut off by a defender maybe more than once or twice. I mean, he was able to get to his spots, get to the rim, do that little drive, stop, spin around, kind of signature Gordon Hayward move. He was living in that kind of five-foot range. A lot of his shots came like just outside of the restricted area, but he did a lot of like really great things, not just driving and getting to the rim and laying it up, driving and he call it slow stepping where you're going real hard. And then all of a sudden you slow down your, your one, two gather steps become slower. So you can let that defender kind of get past you and you're taking a, a different kind of shot. He did those uh, a couple of times, uh, leaners fadeaways, uh, the three wasn't quite falling for him, though he did hit a big corner three. Uh, the only three that he hit was one of four on the night. But the the varying attacks, the ability to make a read, the understanding that when you drive and a big steps up on you, well, now you've got an alley-oop that you can throw. You've got a, you, you got a dunker that can finish that play because the big has now left the rim. Your attack has drawn the big away from the rim. And once you see that, he's good at this. Marcus Smart is awesome at this. Once you see that big take a step forward, that ball is gone and it's up towards the rim. And that recognition is awesome. Understanding that that big, if he stays back and if the defenders on the wing stay tight on the shooters, now you've got lanes and it's up to you to figure out uh, my defender's going this way. My defender's that way. How is he angled? What lane do I have? How hard is he pursuing? If I've got this guy on my hip and I'm going full bore and I know he's going full bore too, I have an advantage. Because I know when I'm going to stop. I can stop when I want to stop. He doesn't know that I'm going to stop. And when you stop, that's where Hayward sets up that signature move. Because you stop, you turn, you pivot. That guy's already a half second behind you. So by the time he stops, you've pivoted. And now a guy that's right on you is suddenly three feet away from you. And you've got this little four foot jumper that should be automatic for an NBA player, especially one of Gordon Hayward's caliber. And it was automatic tonight. He hit all of them, but it's that recognition. And then when that drive's been happening, and now when you see that drive, when you see that lane open up, and now you see a defender out of the corner of your eye come in from the wing and you see a hand start to dig down you feel that help coming. Well, now you know you've got a drive and kick. And 
this is where team chemistry comes in and repetition because you know that the angle at which defender is coming in, you have an idea of who's going to be open. Okay. If you're driving, you see that guy come in from the corner. Obviously that guy's going to be open on the corner. Now, if you see and you're driving, you see that guy's eyes, that help defender's eyes, then you know you've got the guy beat because the the guy that he's supposed to be defending, let's just say it's Kemba. Kemba knows that that guy's turned his head. So he, they call it replacing. He just takes a couple steps over. And the defender, when he turns around, doesn't see Kemba where he was when he turned his head. Sees Kemba in a new place. And that half second of where, okay, he's here. That half second of the guy having to decide where to go is the difference between closing out and Kemba getting a catch and shoot or whomever's on the wing. Maybe it's Tatum or whomever. But anyway, those are all the things that happen when a guy like Gordon Hayward is cooking and getting to the rim and getting to the paint. We talk about paint touches all the time. That's it. That's it right there. That guy, if it's Gordon, if it's Tatum, if it's Kemba, the gravity that they just disrupt everything. You get into the paint and everything changes. And when you are able to dictate people reacting to you as an offensive player, then you start to read, if you're good enough, what what's happening. And the guy who's defending you almost doesn't even exist because you can shake him whenever you want. You're setting the other guys up. You're setting up the help. That's that's where you really get into the nitty gritty of this stuff. So many guys, like they know where their own defender is. They deal with him no problem. But when you can start seeing, and this is where I was talking about with Jalen Brown, seeing that second level, that third level, that's the elite level stuff where you know how you're going to shake your guy. What's the help defender going to do? And if he does that, what's the next play? And if you can see that next play, if it's the alley-oop, or if you know that that help is going to happen, if you know by making one pass, you're going to get the hockey assist because that guy's going to make another pass, now you're really seeing something. So that's where the value of, of a knight like Gordon Hayward and a guy like Gordon Hayward, a guy like Tatum, a guy like Kemba, Marcus Smart, who can turn the corner and get into the paint too and is a very high-level passer. That kind of stuff is a, a lot of fun. Uh, so I'll be talking about that a lot more, I'm sure, as time goes on. Come back. We're going to wrap up the show next on the Lockdown Celtics Podcast. You're up to date on your favorite team, but what about the competition? Hollinger and Nate Duncan are evaluating every bubble contender on Hollinger and Duncan. Rejecting the screen goes behind the scenes with in-depth interviews and the Locked On NBA podcast is recapping games daily. Let the Locked On NBA network of podcasts take care of your NBA bubble scouting reports. Hollinger and Duncan rejecting the screen, the Locked On NBA podcast. Subscribe to the best trio of NBA podcasts on the planet wherever you get your podcasts.
Follow us on our social channels at LO Celtics on Twitter and at Lockdown Celtics on Instagram. Just a couple of news items for uh, moving forward here. Uh, Ennis Cantor did not play in this game. Jalen Brown did not play in this game. They both uh, continue their way back from their respective injuries, illnesses. Jalen Brown worked out on Monday. Did not travel with the team, obviously. Worked out again on Tuesday. Brad Stevens said that Jalen Brown uh, had a good workout. He hopes to have another good workout and may possibly join the team in Charlotte. And as Cantor is with the team, he thought he was going to play. Brad Stevens says he's just not ready. And I think there's, there's probably a little bit of frustration on Cantor's part, but he seems to understand that there's a longer term thing going on. He probably feels like he can play. He probably can. Probably not a big deal. Like I said before in yesterday's show, he wanted to play in the Toronto game. So there was always a possibility that he wasn't going to play in this game and against the Cleveland Cavaliers. But uh, it seems like they want to get him just some more five-on-five action, and the Celtics are going to practice before they play the Charlotte Hornets on Thursday. So there's going to be a Wednesday practice and we should get an update on Cantor. Then this is going to help. Obviously the bench problems at some point soon, these guys are going to be back. Uh, Maybe Carson Edwards is starting to feel better. And, and now that his shot has started to fall, who knows? Maybe, uh, maybe he can be a bigger contributor off the bench, but obviously moving Smart and Cantor to the bench and starting Jalen and Tice, uh, that is, uh, that's probably going to be helpful for the Celtics bench. Uh, I think, well, unless, and it's, I'm sure the, the suggestions are going to come out there that maybe you start Smart in, in the way Smart guarded Kevin Love, that, Maybe starting smart is is better, and you you bring Jalen off the bench. It's certainly possible, and it's been suggested here before. I think Tom Westerholm suggested it that now that Jalen's got his contract, now that Jalen knows that there's a commitment, if they decide like, hey, maybe we want to bring you off the bench, and you can just be the main guy off the bench, still do what you do, still play the same minutes, close games, whatever. But maybe this is going to be the impetus for. Brad to say, look, you've missed a couple of games here without, and you know, we've got this thing that we like. Let's, I want to see, let's try it. Let's try you anchoring the offense off the bench. We're trying different things. This is an experiment. It's early. Brad likes to do it. Float it by Jalen Brown. What's he going to say? You know, he's, he's accepted that role before. I thought he was good in that role last year. I've said multiple times that I thought he was maybe the best at adjusting to this role last year. So maybe that's a suggestion that Brad makes. I wouldn't put it past them and who knows could work. Could not. If you, if you try it and it sucks and Jalen hates it and it doesn't work out, you just put him back in that next starting lineup. I think Thursday night's going to be about Kemba Walker anyway. So it's going to be let Kemba cook night for sure. Uh, I'm sure he wants to, even though he'll never say it publicly, he'll allude to it maybe, but he, um, 
everybody knows this is his, like, this is his return to Charlotte. And, and really, I don't know that he ever really, really wanted to leave. Like, I really do think that he wanted to go back. Um, but I don't think he minds being in Boston. I don't think he minds being on a five and one team that is tied for the top seed, you know, early or not. It's still a, nice to see your team at the top of the standings. Um, I'm sure he wants to go put on a show. I'm sure. And tomorrow the podcast is going to be uh, the Thursday podcast is going to be a crossover with the locked on Hornets. And we'll hear about the Terry Rozier experience. And we damn sure better be ready for the Terry Rozier revenge game. Cause I'm sure he wants to prove a lot to the Boston Celtics. That is a revenge game for sure for him. It's not revenge for Kemba. Kemba's happy. Kemba's in a good place. And he's, I'm sure, very happy to look forward to a, an extended run and a long playoff run. Uh, so that'll be interesting. So Jalen Brown could be back for that game. Ennis Cantor could be back for that game. I want to say that Ennis Cantor should be back for that game. But we'll see what the update is. I mean, they, it feels like he could have come back probably two or three games ago, and they're just being super, super, super cautious. Um, maybe because they already see how tough it is without the you know a fully healthy center spot, um, knowing that they could get past Cleveland, that they could get past New York, that they can probably get past Charlotte without having. Ennis Cantor, and they might as well just preserve him for as long as they can. Maybe they use the Charlotte game as a kind of like a work back type of thing. And then he can go into San Antonio and be kind of more fully ready for the Spurs. You're going to need him against LaMarcus Aldridge for sure. Uh, so maybe that's the plan. I don't know. We'll find out when practice comes around. That's the show. Hope you're enjoying the show. All of you new listeners, hoping you're you're sampling this and enjoying it. Again, tomorrow, crossover show with Locked On Hornets. That's going to be an interesting podcast. And then, who knows what other guests we're going to have lined up. Our regulars, Chuck McKenney, Tom Westerholm, will be on from time to time for sure. So subscribe. And uh, if you are a regular subscriber, the good written review, that five-star rating really, really helps. It's been helping out a lot, but we still got a long way to go. So please keep doing that and share the podcast. Tell everybody, listen to the Lockdown Celtics podcast here on the Lockdown Podcast Network. Rejecting the screen has been retweeted by Kobe, Dame Lillard, and Vince Carter. So it's fair to say you should give it a shot. I'm Noah Kozlov. And I'm Adam Stanko. Rejecting the screen hits your feed every Tuesday and Thursday. On Tuesday, we talk hoops and a little bit of life. On Thursday, we go ISO with a guest. Stories from anyone and everyone who has touched the NBA with tales we promise you've never heard before. Find Rejecting the Screen right now wherever you get podcasts and hit that subscribe button.